Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. admin, which is a bit unusual for us. I received this email during the week, um, and the sender didn't say who it was for, but they did say that whoever it is for will know that it's for them. Um, And they said that the only way that this person is going to hear it is if I read it out loud to you all today. So I'll, I'll give it a go. If this is for you, don't put your hand up right now, but just head over to the prayer area afterwards, and I'll, I'll give you the email, okay? The message is titled, Give Me a Break. I've been trying to reach you for the last few months, but you've been too busy to listen. On a few rare occasions, I thought you'd heard me. On that afternoon when your phone ran out of battery for a few minutes, or the walk you took through the park, or the other night when you just lay there in bed rather than watching another episode on Netflix. I thought you would notice me calling, but those moments faded as quickly as they began. Now, I might be sounding needy, but remember, we are connected to one another. In fact, you are exactly as needy as I am. What I mean is, when I am satisfied, so are you. You know that deep down, but for some reason, you've been acting as if it's not true. You seem happy to feed your ego, your pride, your need for approval, but they only make you more hungry. You listen to your stomach when it grumbles. You listen to your body when it aches. But you seem deaf to anything that I say to you. Don't you realize whenever you tell someone, I'm so busy, that's me raising a red flag. But you turn it into a badge of honor. This feeling of general exhaustion is me dragging my feet, trying to get you to slow down. But you keep saying that you think it's just a difficult season. All I'm asking is that you give me a break. You call other people slave drivers, but you don't realize that often it's actually you. Even when you're giving your body a rest, you keep me working overtime. Yes, Breaking Bad is a great TV series, but it's not restful for me. Those podcasts you listen to all the time, they feed your mind, yes, but they starve me of the attention I need. I'm not asking that you cut these things out of your life completely and deprive those parts of yourself, but I simply want you to treat me in the same way that you treat them, by giving me what I need, rest. Yours sincerely, your soul. Now, whoever that is for, you can come to me after the message, um, but it sounds like you're in the right place, because funnily enough, 
we are starting a five-week series on the topic rest. We're sharing out this amongst a few speakers over these weeks, and we're going to be focusing on a topic that we think is very, very important. But before we get into it, quick social experiment. Can I, by um, show of hands, if you were walking down Victoria Street uh, later today and there was someone handing out free samples, would you A, cross over the road to investigate, or B, avoid them like the plague? Who would be A? Interesting. Who would <laughs> Trust me, that's not always the, the major thing. Who would be B? Okay, fab. Interesting. 50-50. That is essentially what Jesus is doing right here in this passage and for us right now. Handing out free samples to anyone who would like to try. Jesus is handing out free samples of the most hotly anticipated product on earth. The prophets of Israel many hundreds of years before Jesus, had predicted that there would be this street seller by the side of the road handing out free samples to anyone that would stop and listen and investigate. And to anyone who did stop and uh, gain interest and have a conversation, the experience of stopping and taking what this street seller was giving would be like having the greatest meal of your life. I love the prophets. They, they, they're brilliant wordsmiths, but to be honest, they're limited like any human being. The way that we explain things is limited. The best they could get to is this experience of the thing that Jesus is handing out right now is like the greatest meal ever. But there's so many implications to a great meal, aren't there, that you, you, you sort of don't think about. But just imagine you don't get bloated. Just imagine you don't feel like you've spent far too much money. Just imagine the experience of the greatest meal, but it doesn't finish and you don't have to leave the restaurant, but it carries on forever. That's what Jesus is inviting as he's handing out these free samples by the side of the road. But this is not a product that's designed to feed your stomach. This is a product that is designed to feed your soul. So what is it? Rest. What is this thing called rest that Jesus is handing out by the side of the road? Well, I say it's a product, first of all, because it's exclusively made by Jesus. It's got his trademark and his patent on it. This thing called rest is an exclusive product by Jesus that he brought to the market as a rival to all the alternatives that were out there. There's so many alternatives. There's the self-righteousness that comes through being uh, perfectly adhering to all the rules in life. That was around him at the time. There was a self-righteousness on offer that you could get if you were just really good. Or there was this liberation if you just rebelled against the authorities of the day. That was another um, product on the market. There was the satisfaction that comes through wealth, gaining, gaining more and more, amassing wealth, having more money than the next person. The satisfaction that comes through that was on the market. We've got Nowadays, Marie Kondo, the life change that can happen when you tidy up your room and you tidy up your life. You've got Jordan Peterson, who 
who promises that your life will be well-ordered and well-structured and you won't have too much chaos if you just follow these 12 rules perfectly. And then Darren Brown even is releasing books about how to gain happiness by being essentially a stoic. All of these other alternatives have always been on the market. Jesus was bringing an alternative and saying, here you go, this is what I offer you. I offer you something called rest. I say it's a product also because it's a product of following Jesus. It's not just a product created by Jesus, it's a product of following Jesus. Jesus was wise enough. He had grown up around all these other ideas. He had great insight into human beings. He had seen that all of the alternatives that were on offer, although promising a lot at the beginning, having very shiny front covers, always produced in their consumers a sense of heaviness, a sense of lifelessness, a lack of joy, a lack of ease, this sort of rat race mentality, this guilt factor that is always there, various different alternatives produced in people all sorts of bad things that they thought were just situational, but actually it was because of what they were consuming. It was because of the product that they had bought into. Jesus, therefore, comes with an alternative and says, look, all of these, look what they produce in you when you consume them. When you live by these things, look what they produce. And now mine will produce in you a sense of rest, a sense of freedom. Following Jesus liberates you radically from having this sense that you ha have to follow the ways of the world. They create people. Jesus' rest creates people who are able to resist taking on the burdens of this world and being taken hostage by its ideas. And then what makes Jesus' product different? It's produced by him. We've seen what it produces in people. And now what makes it different? Well, it was his blood, sweat, and tears that literally went into making this product. This rest is exclusive to him because only he has created something that's so full of forgiveness and that was essentially manufactured at the cross. It was all of his work that went into this. No one else can claim such things. And I, I always find myself in a catch-22 situation. Whenever you're listening to these motivational speeches or self-help talks or whatever it is, reading these books, you either get one camp of people who are essentially saying, well, I achieved it, so, so should you. I managed to get here, so you should as well. And if you don't, you should feel condemned. Then there's the other camp of people who write books, and always in the final few chapters, there's a caveat saying, but I haven't got it perfect. And to be honest, no one really gets it perfect, but hey, we're all human. Now, where do you stand in the middle of that? I want either condemnation over here or feeling like a total hypocrite and like I can never actually achieve anything over here. Whereas instead, in the middle, we've got Jesus, who lived it perfectly, who was perfectly restful, who achieved all these things without any problems at all. But then he treats his followers, the people who want to try and experience that for themselves, he treats them with gentleness and humility and lowliness for every time they fail and mess up, whatever else. He treats them so much differently. 
So rest essentially is what your soul needs to thrive. It's what your soul needs to be restored, rejuvenated, and to live. So who's it for? Who is this on offer for? Well, it's for anyone who admits that they need it. Are you concerned that you are not as loving as you should be or would like to be? Are you concerned that you're not able to give people quality time when they're trying to speak to you? Are you concerned that you're getting snappier rather than friendlier? Are you concerned that those habits in your life have not gone away? Are you concerned about your thought patterns being so detrimental to your health? Are you worried about your spiritual vibrancy? Are you concerned that you, your emotional health is not as good as it could be? Well, if you are concerned about those things, then good news. This is for you. Jesus says, it's for anyone who is weary and heavy laden. Anyone who admit to those things. So if you don't think those are problems for you, if you're not concerned about that, if you're pretty happy in yourself, then this is not for you. It's not. Jesus says, I came for sinners, not for saints. I came to heal the sick, not the healthy. So it's not for you. The sad reality is, if you read the Bible, is actually you're the most diseased person there is because you've almost lost total connection with your soul and you're not listening. You're almost not able to hear your soul crying out for help. For everyone else, this is on offer. And the big question is, are you willing to take Jesus seriously enough? Because it's a nice idea and you can walk along the street. I was doing it the other day, Clapham High Street. There was someone handing out some free samples. I looked over and said, oh, that looks nice, and then carried on walking the other side of the street. Are you serious enough to actually take Jesus seriously? So what do you need to do to get this rest, to experience this product? Do I need to do anything or will it just happen to me? There's two sides to this equation. Do I need to do stuff to get this? Or will it just happen to me by believing and turning up to church? What's going to happen? And the answer is both. If you think about the verse, it's, Jesus says this very clearly. I will give you rest. You will find rest. He doesn't say you need to go and find rest for yourself, or you need to achieve it in any way. He says, I will give it to you. You will find it. Hear those promises. This is passive. It's all about receiving. So I think if anything has struck me in preparing for this, it's this idea that's just been going through my head. You do not need to achieve rest. You need to receive rest. If it gets flipped the other way around, you won't get it. Because you cannot achieve this. You have to receive this. It is a gift. And I'm going to talk in a bit about how you reorganize your life in order to try and prioritize not achieving rest, which is what all the other self-help books will try and get you to do. Every other philosophy is essentially trying to achieve a state of rest in your life by doing X, Y, and Z. Jesus' promise is about receiving rest. So how do you receive a free sample? 
Simple enough, you have to be on the right side of the road. Because Jesus then says this, come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. These are totally active, and it's 100% your responsibility. Whether you get rest or not, that's Jesus' gift. You have to receive it. You can't achieve rest. But the steps that Jesus gives are totally 100% your effort. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. And I'd put it as simply as this, because you could do an entire sermon series just on those phrases. But I put it as simply as this. In your life, put yourself in a position where you can receive rest. Put yourselves in positions where you can receive rest. Is that going to be easy or is it going to be hard? Will it be easy for you? If I can be as bold as to say, probably not. Jesus doesn't... It, Jesus, uh, this is a brilliant quote from John Ortberg from his uh, book, Soul Keeping. I'd encourage anyone to read this um, or listen to it, actually. It's a really good audio book. But this phrase really struck me. Jesus doesn't offer an easy life. He offers an easy yoke. What's a yoke? A yoke is an entire way of living. It's an entire lifestyle. It's an entire life. It's how you are alive. It's how you live. It's the entirety of everything that you do. That's a yoke. That's someone's yoke. Jesus is offering a new way to be alive. He's not offering you a rest. It's not a specific time where Jesus is just going to give you a little break. A rest. He's offering you something much bigger. A new way of life. And this is really important. He's not offering a way to avoid the challenges in this world. He's not offering a way to have a little break from the challenges in this world. He's offering you a totally new way to shoulder the challenges in this world. An entirely different way to exist. But why do I say probably not? Well, because most of us are only on the wrong side of the street, but we're also walking in the wrong direction. Now, this is the weirdest moment in this sermon. I was uh, preparing this sermon walking around Clapham Common, as you do, and I was sat on a bench in the sort of, I don't know, nine o'clock at night, standing out. I shouldn't have been working at nine o'clock at night, should I? The irony. Sat on a bench, looking at one of those outdoor gyms. Do you know what I mean? Where there's gym equipment outside with like the cross trainers and the bicycles and stuff outside, free equipment that people go on and use. They're usually green, weird green color. I was sat on a bench watching this um, gym. And during the day, it's full of very like uh, attractive and very healthy people who sort of want everyone to see how uh, fit they are. At nighttime, it's a different species. <laughs> there, was, there was just one lady uh, on one of the exercise bikes I was watching. She was wearing a relatively long purple dress, um, carrying a handbag with um, a sort of shawl over her shoulders and very jet black hair. Um, and she was cycling backwards like this, slowly, but she looked totally happy. 
She was more than happy just cycling backwards. She was looking around at Clapham Common, just doing this for quite a long time while I was trying to think of what to say at this point in the sermon. <laughs> and I honestly looked at her and sort of dismissed her, thought, you look a bit like a fool. And then there's me standing on camera doing this. And then a cool-looking young woman turns up with a white tracksuit on, with her AirPods in. She puts her backpack down on another, another machine and gets on the bicycle next to this woman who's still going. And then she tries to cycle forwards and goes like that. Totally fails and almost falls off the bike. Looks around to check no one had seen and then tries again. And again, fails. And it looks like the bike isn't quite working like that. The other lady still is just doing this, right next to her, happy as Larry, cycling that way. And this lady tries again, and it still doesn't work. Her foot slips off the pedal. So then she starts to look at the bike to see if there's anything wrong with it, tries one more time, laughs, tries to laugh the entire thing off, pretends like it hasn't happened, picks up her bag and just walks out of the common. I did sneak up to the bike afterwards, after everyone had left, just to see whether there was anything going on. I think what I'd seen, though, is quite a good example of what we're like. It seems like the bike was meant to be pedaled backwards. It was actually far smoother going that way the other way really was jolty. How many of us are desperately trying to cycle in the same direction as the world when actually cycling backwards is the way of life? That's the way to ease. But it looks so foolish to the outside world. The way of Jesus, the yoke of Jesus, is backwards to the world. It is far smoother there is far more ease in it, but it looks foolish. And I'm no psychologist, but if I just to simple things, I think that's why so many of us find life so hard, is because we're desperate to fit in, in some way, in whatever demographic you're in, in whatever life stage you're in, you're still trying to fit in and cycle the same way as the world. Finding that it doesn't quite work, but instead of learning from the fool next to you, still plowing on until you just want to give up. What Jesus is suggesting is, what about my yoke? What about the thing that looks backwards to the rest of the world, but actually makes total sense in the kingdom of heaven? Amen. So I'm inviting you to consider, I'm just going to go through a few things. How can you reorganize your life in order to best receive the rest of Jesus and experience life in a new way. We've got five weeks at this. We're going to come at it from various angles. We're going to consider various different elements of this. So I'm not saying it's all going to happen now because like I said, this is a gift that you must receive but you have to take 100% responsibility for receiving it in your life. Don't just put yourself in a position to receive it this week and then start cycling forwards again. But actually, why not over these next five weeks start the backwards process of walking with Jesus 
and experiencing and receiving his rest. So some of you, the very practical ones, the ones probably who have the biggest issue with this, are thinking, can you just get to a point? Can you just give us some stuff to do? Well, okay. I just did the classic preacher trick of picking words that don't really relate to each other and then forcing some points into them, okay? So we've got restart, restrain, restructure, restore. Do you get it? Rest at the beginning of all those. Clever. So, essentially what I have done is read a couple of very good books on this. Soul Keeping is one. Um, the Elimination of Hurry is another by John Mark Comer. And then another one, which I've forgotten the name, but Craig uh, gave it to me, and you can ask him afterwards. Um, some really good books, and this is essentially putting in some of the tips from those that overlap and kind of shoehorning them into these points. Restart. We all drift into the rat race of life. We all drift into cycling forwards, because everyone's doing it. The earn it mentality. I've got to earn it was even prayed this morning in the prayer service. The, the feeling of needing to earn your own identity, to really achieve something, to have your name up in stars in whatever sector you're in, in whatever environment. It might just be in your family. It might just be even for you, but you're trying to earn something. The earn it mentality really stops us receiving from God. We can also drift into sinful habits and patterns that rob us of closeness with God. So there's an entire direction of life that is taking you away from receiving from God. And there's also a way of life that detaches you from God because of regular habits. Now, some of these might be big, some of these might be small. But the only way to fully receive rest is to fully restart. And what I mean by that is coming back to a gracious God with your entire life on offer. This is what you did right at the beginning when you became a Christian. You brought your entire life to God, didn't you? When you first believed, you might not necessarily remember this because you were a kid, but it, it, that's even better because as a kid, kind of your whole life's ahead of you and Jesus should be in charge of the entire thing. If you came to Jesus later in life, you did come to him with all of it on offer, saying, Jesus, direct my life. This is new to me. I didn't believe this before. Now I do. Now everything's on offer. My job, my relationships, everything is on offer. But we then drift. As time goes on, we drift from that great intention to sort of the inevitable, sadly, the inevitable drift into the way the world thinks. And I'm encouraging you, there are going to be certain things. They might be big. It might be that you need to entirely change your career. It might be that you need to entirely give up a certain relationship. Or it might be that you just keep looking at your phone in bed every night. Restart. Restart and give everything to God. And use five weeks to do it. Don't do it all this week. It'll really, really tire you out. But I've, I've been trying that. I realized that my phone was the worst thing at night. I really need some sleep. And I'm, I'm lying there just looking at it until late in the evening. So I am now leaving it downstairs. 
Now, I'm sure, sadly, I'm going to drift at some point over the next few weeks or months, and I'm going to need to restart again. That's okay. Remember, the teacher we're learning from is gentle and lowly in heart. There's not a harsh slap coming from heaven. There is a gentle word of encouragement to say, no, 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 that's not helping you. Let's restart. So come back to a gracious God with your whole life on the table over these next five weeks and restart. Be willing to restart anything. Restrain. John Mark Comer says this in his book, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. And here's why. Too many of us are living life at two times speed, double speed. Like if you're watch, watching something and you want to get through it quicker so that you can watch something else afterwards, you put it on double speed and you whiz through it. Do you enjoy it as much? No. Because you were doing that to get the point, as if that's the point. The person who created that documentary or that film or whatever put so much thought into your experience of it at one time speed. They didn't design it for two times speed. And it's the same for our lives. God has designed your life for one times speed. There's a book out there say, called The Three Mile an Hour God, because apparently that's the average speed that most people walk. And N.T. Wright says this, it's only when we slow down our lives that we catch up with God. If you're walk, imagine you're walking around or going around a circuit, you know, like a racetrack. The Commonwealth Games are on at the moment. Imagine you're going around a racetrack. There's Jesus, and there's you. You caught up with him. Well done. You spend a few seconds with him, and wouldn't it be better if you just walk at the same pace? You'd get the entire lap with him rather than a couple of seconds each lap. Is your life a bit like that? Every week you catch up with him, maybe for a Sunday, you just pause for a second, and then you carry on. Wouldn't it be better to just restrain yourself and walk at his pace through life? So I'd encourage you, do stupid things. Slow your life down so that you waste time on purpose. Genuinely. Some of the practices that are encouraged are silence and solitude. I haven't attempted them yet because they sound awful. <laughs> but I have even over the last couple of weeks just going for a walk without any devices. Thankfully, Sean is incredible and lets me go in the evenings. She's looking after the kids. Just for an hour walking around the park with no sort of previous intentions, just sit down and just observe and experience a bit of silence in the middle of London, a bit of solitude and invite God into that moment and recognize that he was always there. He was walking very slowly and I caught up with him. Can you build those kinds of things into your day? Can you slow yourself down on purpose? For example, what about today? Stay for lunch, stay for the picnic, don't rush off. It's the classic phrase, I need to rush off. Now I recognize you may have planned something before and you need to keep that. But in general, what about that as a practice? Don't rush off, don't rush. Stay. Waste time with us. We're not going to do anything mighty. We're not going to make any achievements in St. James's Park. We're not going to build anything. But it'll be good for your soul. 
And is your soul important? Then restructure. Why not restructure your life? Look at your calendar. There's probably, in your calendar right now, there's a lot organized for your heart and for your mind and for your body. Is there anything in your calendar allocated for your soul? Have you put aside time and space, activities for the benefit of your soul, which is just as integral to who you are as your body and your mind and your heart? I'd encourage you, take apps off your phone, things that you can do on your laptop perfectly well, take them off your phone, and set times to go over and see them and do them on your laptop, even in your working life. I've heard some great advice of setting specific times to do emails during the week or even just during the day. Setting specific times for that rather than it always being there and then you're always a slave to whatever's coming through. Can you restructure your life? Can you set an alarm daily at 12 o'clock to pray with Howard? Not come here and pray, but pray wherever you are. Set that time in your day. It might just help you reset the day as well. And we're not legally obliged to take a Sabbath like the Israelites were. They legally had to take a day off, and there were penalties for not. We're not legally obliged to do that. But it might be the best thing for your soul. The way I've heard the Sabbath described best, it's 24 hours of unhurried delight. It is 24 hours where ought-tos and must-dos are not allowed. Those things that demand your attention and your time, you do them elsewhere. You've got six days to do those. It might be a good practice for your soul. And then finally, restore. And this is essentially just the point. The entire point of this series is not to encourage you or teach you how to live a more effective life, how to get things done, how to be more productive, how to be more successful. This isn't the point. The point of this is to how to be more refreshed, rejuvenated, and restful in your relationship with God. So I would really encourage you, prioritize restoration in this season. Try and build in certain habits so that for the rest of the year, you can practice those things as well. And I've been thinking about this as well. How do you get better at any skill? Well, you practice it. These things are going to take practice. If you can't do two hours of silence in the presence of God, just do five minutes. Practice. Keep practicing at certain things. Pick the thing that you think will be most directly related and relevant for you in this season of life. And then build on it. Prioritize restoration. That's, that's all we're asking. In this season, prioritize restoration. Don't fill your free time with chores. Fill it with freedom-related activities. And then grow in your likeness to Jesus. Uh, if the band can come back, and I'll just read this. That's that was a lot of to-dos in a series that's about rest. But hopefully it's encouraging. And now I'm just going to invite you to the place where this is entirely, again, remember, Jesus says, come to me. That's the first words, come to me. He doesn't say, read this book. 
He doesn't say, listen to this sermon. He doesn't say, sort your life out. He says, come to me. So let's do that right now. And then if you want to, start practicing rest. Just this great quote from a book called Gentle and Lowly. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. Actually, let, let's stand. I'll, I'll read it, but let's stand because this is now the invitation to worship. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. There's no prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside your control, Jesus Christ's desire is that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can come to you right now in whatever situation we're in, whatever level of busyness, angst, worry, and if we're willing, you are more than able to give us rest, which is exactly what our soul needs. Holy Spirit, we can only ask for your help right now to do that. We know that this is going to honor the Father who sent Jesus into the world to give rest to the weary, to give strength to those who are growing faint. Please do that now. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.